Hello, everyone. I'm Barbara Peters from the Poison Pen in Scottsdale, Arizona, and it's my pleasure to be speaking to an author from Australia, possibly New Zealand, and visiting New York. Is all that true, Jacqueline? This is true. I'm in New Zealand right now. I'm often in Australia, and I have just come back from New York. Aha. Well, <laughs> you're an international author. And this book that she has done here, Before You Knew My Name, which is her unusual debut, um, in fact, um, brings together people from different parts of the world. One of them, a refugee from violence in Wisconsin who lands in New York City. Um, and who's the other? And Ruby Jones is our uh, other um, main character. She's from Melbourne in Australia. Um, she is the woman who finds Alice Lee, a little Wisconsinite. She finds her body on the um, banks of the Hudson River in New York. At that sets the tone for the novel. That's not a massive spoiler. Um, you find out that um, from the beginning and, and so begins a story about the connection between this um, young woman from the Midwest and uh, a slightly more grown up version of her from Melbourne who meet um, under very strange circumstances in New York City. They do in very strange circumstances. And I looked up a number of comments about your book and one of them, um, which I really, really liked, this is undeniably a crime story, but Bublitz's creativity, affectionate descriptions of a New York City she obviously adores, and strong character development make this an out, make this novel stand out in a crowd. New York City, um, where did that come in? I mean, I've, I've been to Melbourne. I have a nephew who lives in Melbourne, and you know, um, yeah, um, I've been to Melbourne. Um, I've published Carrie Greenwood. I've, um, yep. Um, so a lot of time in Melbourne, and I'm trying to determine why New York would attract you more than Melbourne. <laughs> uh, it attracts me differently. Okay. Um, I mean, I grew up, um, you know, bottom of the world, most, one of the most beautiful places um, down in on the west coast of the North Island of New Zealand. Um, and New York existed as, a, you know, like fantasy or Manhattan in particular, fantasy island for me, ever since I was little, like movies, TV shows. Um, I wanted to be on Broadway. I'm unashamedly able to admit that that I both wanted to be on Broadway and was never going to be talented enough to, to do that. So I just appreciated it from afar. And um, when I was 18 and I left New Zealand, as, as, as many um, young folk did back in the day, New York wasn't an option for me for a few reasons. Um, Melbourne uh, was a lot closer mm -hmm. and, you know, as a city, it felt like a like a, a baby sister to to New York uh, um, in in many ways. Um, so I loved living in Melbourne. I lived there for for most of my adult life and, until recently. Um, but New York existed as this dream that hadn't yet been fulfilled, um, which is why I came over in uh, 2015 and spent the spring and summer in, on the Upper West Side uh, researching what then became before you knew my name. Got it. So it's kind of like the Emerald City for you. Actually, I grew up in Chicago in a suburb uh, called Winnetka, but Melbourne reminds me really more of Evanston in Chicago and Sydney reminds me more of New York. So I find it interesting. That interesting. Somebody else compared um, Sydney and New York. And I think Sydney more with the beaches and stuff is, is more of a, a West Coast thing. Um, but Chicago, I went there and um, as a teenager when I was living in Michigan and I did recognize, especially with the, with the um, 
down on the, on the water, it did remind me a bit of Melbourne as well. So I mean, Melbourne's just our sort of cosmopolitan, um, it's a very European city actually, um, and uh, a great creative place um, for me to, to have um, really grown up. I think it would have been a lot harder to grow up on my own in New York City. So I'm fortunate that um, I had Melbourne to, you know, to grow me up. Melbourne has an extraordinary public library. Those are the things I remember most. It's beautiful. Great botanical garden, but the library is truly a knockout. I love that you know that. I mean, the botanical the botanical garden is, is um, where, unfortunately, I had the inspiration for this novel because there was a crime that happened in the gardens. Um, so I lived, yeah. So the fact that you mentioned that um, I lived on um, on the same road, on St Kilda Road in Melbourne, that, that leads right. into the Botanic Gardens, and uh, a young woman was murdered there one morning. It was very unusual. It's a very um, safe, um, very safe city, um, but are they all until something um, terrible happens? Uh, and it just um, so happens to be on on my street and in my in my gardens in my park, and that's where the inspiration for the story came from. Well, what you've done um, is that your American character, um, who has left Wisconsin for New York, I was, well, might as well say it at the beginning because this is not a spoiler, she's dead. And dead. your Australian character is really your point of view character. And I think, you know, if you're going to write, write a book set in another country in another culture, it works better if your point of view character is the one, is you, you know, you an Australian. This is what happens when I come to New York, rather than you're trying to assume um, the character of Alice, who is the young woman who is murdered. So did you think about that? Did it, I mean, was that just a natural choice or did you have to give that some thought? No, I was always aware that I had an outsider's view, a very romantic view of, of New York. And if I was gonna write a story set there and have it have any authenticity, then, then my characters would need to be transplants, transplants. Um, they would need to come um, to New York, to New York, rather than be from New York, in order for me to achieve, yeah, any level of um, authenticity around that city. I would, I would never claim to to know what it's like to be a born and bred New Yorker, and I know very few actually. Um, you know, even in my time in New York, I met very few people um, who were actually, you know, who born and bred in, um, in, in Manhattan. Um, so it was easier and it was a deliberate choice to have my characters um, with few exceptions, be people who had come to New York for the same reason that I had, um, for, this, from, for the same lure of kind of, this is the place you go to make it. This is the place you go to find yourself and to, to share parts of yourself as well. Um, unfortunately for one of my characters that doesn't end so well. Wow. Um, well, that's how you set up the story. Um, for those of you who read The Lovely Bones by Alice Siebold, where you may recall that the young woman who's the victim of the crime is really the narrator of the story, um, it won't surprise you then that Alice um, is in some way still with us, even though she's, she's dead. Um, and it's her, her interaction with Ruby um, who finds her body um, that really generates the story. There have been a lot of comments made about the book, which I find fascinating. Um, you never know if you do something different, how readers and viewers will embrace it, right? Emily Beston, your editor, is a really terrific editor. I know Emily well. And one of the things I admire about her is the range of fiction that she acquires and edits. She does a lot of military fiction. She does 
really interesting things. Um, anyway, one of the one of the comments which I like an astounding debut novel that every woman will feel in their bones. The lovely bones. I think that's <laughs> the echo there. At last, a whodunit where the victim is the front and center of the story. And you know that's so true that oftentimes the 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 victim is just kind of the device, the instigating incident that kicks off the story. And and the story is is about the investigation. It's about other people, but the victim is already dead. So did you you know did you want to overcome the idea that the victim has no voice by giving your victim a voice? Absolutely. Um, I wasn't sure. I'll be honest though. I wasn't sure how I was going to do that. I started out, I mean, I say I'm an accidental crime writer um, and it's the happiest accident you know, that's ever um, ever happened to me. Um, people should be so lucky um, as I am in that I, I had the, this idea for, you know, for a story that would explore the connection between the, the murder victim and the person who found her body. That might be obvious to, to some that that would end up being a crime story or, or considered crime fiction. It wasn't, it wasn't to me. Um, it was very much, um, for me, it was just exploring that, you know, what would that, what would that be like? And, and as I grew into these characters and then they sort of um, took on sort of a life of their own in New York, came into the piece, I realized that, and with a little bit of help from my amazing editors um, around the world as well, that we could add, a, you know, some red herrings and some, some tension and, and the, the whodunit aspects without losing my initial um, premise which was this is a who was she not 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 a whodunit so and then it became a who was she and a whodunit uh and I'm, I'm very grateful for that I you mentioned the lovely bones I had loved that I mean, it it's came out quite a long time ago now yes, I really I, know, and I had to look yeah. actually I, had, yeah. I have an yeah. author staying with me at the moment and I had to ask her because it totally I mean, yeah, I remember I, the concept, but the name had frankly gone out of my head. It's been so long. I remember buying that at a Borders, um, and, and now long defunct Borders in Melbourne, um, actually not being able to afford it um, and going and just like looking at it. And you could read books at Borders at the time. You could sit and, you know, sit and sit down the back with this pile of books uh, and then then actually, you know, getting, getting paid and, and buying it. And I had loved, I had loved that story at the time. I had loved that it was told from the perspective of a dead girl. Um, what I was conscious of with um, Alice Lee as my narrator was that there weren't going to be as many um, answers, perhaps is a way to put it. So the Lovely Bones answers a little bit about a, a version of heaven and a version of the afterlife. And I didn't want that to be the case uh, with Alice Lee and with Before You Knew My Name, I wanted it to be more about the questions that we all carry around. Um, so it is an homage in some ways to The Lovely Bones and at the same time it almost pushes back on some of those, um, certainly the second half of that book where it, where it attempts to answer some questions about heaven and I'm, I'm putting it out there um, through Alice that even Alice herself has no idea where she is um, <laughs> after after this thing that happens to her she just knows that she is able to to communicate and she's learning um, relearning how to I guess be out of the world um, as well as being in it. Is there any sense that it, because it was violence that propelled her out, that's the reason that she hasn't left yet? I, I mean, I yes, and at the same time, I was grappling with a, a, um, the death of my, when I was um, editing um, what became the final version, I was grappling with the death of my father in a, in a, a non-violent, you know, my, my father passed away at home with us. Um, we had nursed him for... Um, 
up to nine months um, of his illness. And so I was I was grappling with questions of of death and, and what happens next and, and where where do you go after that last breath um, as much as Alice was. Um, so there's a little bit of me creeping in there, a little bit of my experiences um, as, a, as a human who happened to be writing a book at the, you know, about somebody who had died at the same time as my my beloved father passing away um, or moving on to 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 who knows to who knows where else. But yeah, you could definitely, I mean, that's a something Think we're familiar with isn't it there's there's a um a score to be settled or something that needs to be resolved before um you can uh, move on and, and there are aspects of alice lee's um story um where that really resonates she's she's got um some things that she wants to be resolved before she um has a different kind of conversation moving forward you're not yeah you're not the first author to suppose that there's kind of a you know a space, if it will, where yeah. people whose lives haven't fully resolved, you know, hang about. I mean, you know, do we, are there actually ghosts? And if there are actually ghosts, why are there ghosts? And why aren't there more of them? Or you know, where are you? And why can't you just come and hang out with me, dad? And you know, all those things. I mean, I think also, I mean, I have entire worlds living in my head. I have characters who somehow cross some kind of line sometimes to feel like real people for for short or long or periods of time depending on you know what I'm working on and so it's not unusual there's a part of my brain that accepts that I don't live entirely in the in the here and the here and now I'm, I'm pulling inspiration from somewhere so it's it's a comfort at least and I hope that this book um for, for all of its um tragedy and, and violence is also um a through line of, of comfort or hopefulness um without without ever attempting to to say for certain what happens that you know that there are that the dead are never truly lost to us which is something Fox Mulder said a long time ago in the X-Files and I like to um borrow that as my lodestar well that's an you know that is a certainly a fundamental question our you know when we die, how do we live on? Do we live on? Do we only live on in the memories of people who knew us? And unless we somehow are historical figures when the people who knew us die, you know, that's our, our final death. Um, I, I wanted for, I mean, you could read the novel, um, let's get a little deep, but you could read the novel entirely that, that Alice is living in Ruby's head, um, whereas, you know, it, is written written to sort of to to be the other way um but it's open to interpretation like it could be wishful thinking on on um, ruby's behalf that this young woman did actually sort of rise up and get to tell her story and so yeah i really wanted to um with such a with such a serious topic i wanted i wanted to have some lightness to it a little bit of magical realism and i wanted people to people to bring their own notions and you know some people are, are uh, that's fine as well resistant to the whole thing do not have a dead narrator I don't want to I don't want to read that and like that that's okay um but I you know I deliberately wrote it with without um answering any questions I said yeah just to, to repeat what I said before and drive at home that this is not a novel that attempts to answer what happens after you die it just asks a, a lot of questions that I think many of us um want to ask when we're going through something like that when we have a loss in our own lives well you do answer other questions because they're you know the question of who killed Alice and you know and why and other things do actually come get into resolved and yeah. actually and and do get answered um so another another comment which I liked instead of a hunt for this killer for the killer <clears throat> of Alice 
The novel explores the personhood of the victim, who she was, what she loved, all the years that were stolen from her. It's a story about female agency and value in the case in the face of male violence and also about resilience. Um, and so resilience, in fact, is what, what Ruby is going to, although Alice too, but, um, you know, it's, it's, I, I think that's very well said, exploring the personhood of the victim. There's an author named Deborah Crombie who has written a very, very long series of um, English kind of police procedural novels and has done a lot of brave things. And in her fifth book, I think it was, she actually, it was, it's more of a conventional mystery in its structure because it involves the police. Uh, but she wrote, I'm trying to remember the exact page count, but something like 152 or 56 pages before the murder, before mm -hmm. the victim um, is killed. And um, that, that was a really interesting and unusual thing to do, but it was because she wanted, she wanted the reader to really get to know the victim and really mourn the victim. She wanted the victim's death to, you know, to be the most powerful part of the book. And in order to do that, she had to tell the stories. And some, and it's difficult how to find. So you know, I chose to to sort of stretch the boundaries of of a few things by having Alice tell her story. But yeah, how do you tell the um, victim story? Certainly, when when the victim has been murdered. And there are some there are writers doing the most clever, like brilliant things um, with with narrative structure. And I'm that's why um, again, as this accidental crime writer, I feel really lucky to be welcomed into this group of um, um, writers from from all around the world doing you know telling these really human stories and sometimes quite like in a good if sneaky can be good in a sneaky way like sneaking in some some you know sneaking in the humanity you know under the guise of like a you know page turning like thriller um but there's some some really deep lessons in there as well and i'm i'm learning my craft amongst the best of them which is really exciting the crime it used to be we used to be called when we first opened the Poison Pen, which was 33 years ago, a mystery bookstore. And I only selected a specialty because this is in Barnes and Noble was rampaging across the world. <laughs> and there was no there was no way that an independent, relatively, I intended it to be a modest little bookstore, was ever going to be able to, you know, embrace the entirety of what was published. So I was I, um, in law before I before I did all this and you know just it's very difficult to be a generalist as a doctor or a lawyer anymore because you know the knowledge field is so vast you really need a specialization if you're going to excel so I thought all right I love romance I love biography I'm a trained historian but my mother was a dedicated mystery fan she was still living and I read a lot of it and I thought that of all the specialties I could do, that mystery would be the most fun. Subsequently, you know, all these years later, we're not really a mystery bookstore, but I also wouldn't call it a mystery bookstore anymore. I think crime fiction is a much better, much broader um, umbrella, you know, under which all of this can shelter. And um, I like the fact that it can embrace so many different stories you know there doesn't it doesn't have to be an agatha christie construct anymore um and i think that's one reason that you've had you might have had more trouble writing this book and having it accepted back when i started it was more mm -hmm. conventional 
Yeah, there was there was still a, a little bit of pushback initially. I mean, when when I first was pitching the story, I, you know, and certainly it's um, all of that pushback and feedback helped um, because you, you start to realize, you know, this is a, this is a business and readers have expectations as well. And so how do you defy some conventions, but, you know, maintain, um, you know, that relationship or meet the expectations of readers. And I, did, I had no idea what I was doing. I'm not a trained, I didn't study um, apart from a few sort of random sort of Saturday classes in writing. Um, and I was not working in any kind of, um, field connected um, media and sales a little bit connected wordy but nothing to do with with um, writing novels and certainly nothing to do with um, uh, with crime um, but I was a reader and I paid attention and my mum and my mum as well um, and my sister loved reading true crime especially mm. local stories here um, in New Zealand um, and, and in Australia um, like the Lindy Chamberlain case which is I think quite well known in, in the United States as well around the you know the dingo took my baby they would read all these and they would become really obsessed with what were, were then like unsolved crimes because uh, you know I think it's only recently that that it's become, I don't want to say easier, but I can't think of a better word, so easier uh, to, to solve crimes with DNA and things. But like for a long time there, you know, there was these great mysteries. What happened? Did this person kill their, kill their you know, child or did a dingo take the child? Or, you know, what happens um, to this, this missing person? And now we're, um, I think we're living in an era where we're more about solving, <laughs> like actually where we have about uncovering how something happened and how it was solved because we're quite used to it now in in real life we're quite used to um the golden state killer for example being found um after 30 30, 70s yeah it was a long time ago like 30 some 30 some years of um getting away with his crimes and then suddenly he's found and that was interesting to me as well um and perhaps influenced um certainly in later edits of this book is like something how do you if how do you tell a story and keep it interesting from the victim's perspective um, where it's not so much about who did it, it's, it is more about why and how. Um, yeah, so and I'm, and yeah, I'm still learning. I'm still learning. I'm playing with it with my second book as well. And, and so watch, watch this space. Well, you might not choose to write a crime novel next time. And in point of fact, you know, she didn't actually have to die. I mean, you could have had a victim who was, you know, severely beaten or, you know, other other terrible things, but didn't actually die. Um, yeah, I felt like I couldn't. I had a really hard time um, fulfilling the premise of the novel, which was to, you know, have um, these terrible things happen to Alice Lee. I really struggled uh, with... Um, writing those scenes and going to those places and, and you sort of feel a bit like the puppeteer and it's like I don't want to do this to this character but in I then my next two books will be in the crime genre um they will be very sort of um excuse me <coughs> jet lag um there um I might they'll be in that they're I see it as a trilogy or the companion pieces or you know not sequels or, or anything like that excuse me for a second that is my plane journey. I understand. Right. In. It's hard um, when you've been on a lot of air travel. It's a long way back to New Zealand. It's especially uh -huh. a long way back from New York. I often yeah. think to people, we've been to New Zealand three different times. And wow. we're, we're going again um, early in 2024. And I, you know, people say it's so far. And I say, well, actually, it's the same flight time as from Phoenix to London. 
It's actually, it is, you know, because yeah. we're on the Western end of the United States. You are, so you don't have that whole, so it took me 17 hours to get to New York, uh, direct from Auckland, it's a new flight. And it was lovely, I was so excited. I was coming to New York uh, to launch um, before you knew my name, which came out on the first and the um, all of the flight attendants and were really into it as well. Like, what you know, because I told, you know, they were like, well, you seem really happy, for, you know, for in, in the middle of the night. I'm like, well, this is my book coming out. It was so exciting. Uh, but then I landed and I was, whew, I was, I am, I am un, uh, unaccustomed these days. I think my travel muscle has atrophied slightly um, being, you know, with, with our borders closed for, for so long, understandably necessarily. Uh, but that flight um, definitely took out of me and I was just coming right when I, when I came back home to, uh, to New Zealand. So thankfully it's a nice rainy day today and I'm just going to read, I'm going to read probably not crime. Read well, I should point out to you that because she's actually tomorrow in the morning mm. while I'm sitting here this afternoon. Yeah, I'm in the I'm in the yeah. future, and it is a nice it is a nice day. Nothing um Wonderful. nothing world shattering has happened in the future. I'm here to tell you, <laughs> it's just a nice just a nice day. Zoom events are all about mastering time zones. Mm. Um, you know, it's uh, in Arizona does this weird thing because we we never leave Mountain Standard Time. And so everybody else shifts to daylight, but we don't. So part of the year we are on Mountain Standard Time and the rest of the year for the rest of the world, we are really on Pacific Daylight Time because it's, you know, so I have um, often, there are a lot of complications in setting up, you know, and assume. Yeah. Anyway, um, back to where I was, let me point out another thing, which I thought, um, the murder of an attractive young woman is the foundation on which many crime novels are built. Absolutely true. A device used too often, some might argue. But in her unique first book, writer Bublis turns that traditional construct on its head with fierce compassion and a welcome dose of feminist outrage. Um, and I thought, you know, do you see this as, as a feminist story? I mean, people are infusing political into this. Did you intend that? I did. I mean, I did, and I think... Um... Generationally, I mean, I'm a, a would be a card carrying feminist. I grew up um, uh, not an academic feminist, um, but certainly um, a in the way that I live my life, dedicated to equity and equality um, of um, well, all aspects of identity actually, um, not just gender. Um, and I had that my own righteous anger, my own frustrations around um, my own safety and and things that had happened to friends of mine and then and things that would play out on the on the broader stage, like the murder of the young woman Renee Lau um, in the Botanic Gardens in Melbourne. And where I would feel sad when these things would happen, I would also feel very ripped off, very angry about I'm angry, it's a funny word, isn't it? I would I would feel so frustrated that we are still dealing um with um, that it's still not that it's still not safe to 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 walk to your job at like four thirty in the morning because you work at a bakery because somebody might decide that you know based on your on your gender and other aspects of your identity that you are vulnerable or that you are some kind of prey, and I don't live every day of my life thinking about that you know um, explicitly, but in it in um, certainly in navigating my safety um, from a young age living in cities on my own, I was always conscious that. Um, you know, if I left a bar at the same time as my male friends, there were different right. things to walk on. There were different things that we needed to worry about. Um, 
and so I never wanted this book to be, you know, me, as, as I've said a few times, like showing up with my sign on the Supreme Court steps, you know, and I could easily do that in my real life. Um, but with the book, I wanted to just have this uh, through line of righteous anger um, and at the same time, keep it um, entertaining um, right. and um, keep people turning the pages. And, and I'm, I'm really grateful. I, I'm like hand on heart grateful that for the most part that seems to be how people have received it that I can sort of yeah. you know it's not me banging on a table at, at a dinner party you know ruining the mood it's actually saying hey here's some things to think about amongst you know um, amongst other um, aspects of the story I'm, yeah, I'm really grateful for that. Well I think almost all women at some point in their life have some kind of a brush with male violence some of them more extreme yeah. Not, I mean, we have a, you know, tremendous thing going on here, you know, driving while black, sleeping while black, walking while black. Um, so, you know, gender can, one gender is, is often more vulnerable than another, you know, one race can be, or mm -hmm. races can be much more difficult. I mean, in New Zealand, you have a, an interesting, um, I think that you know the the there's a new book by Michael Bennett coming out in January, yeah. which I have read and recommended, and I expect to be talking to him. And you know he's clearly a, a Maori writer, you know, um, and talking about the sorts of things that um, colonization, um, cultural appropriation. I remember being in New Zealand and picking up a, a green rock in a riverbed, and you know someone saying to me, you know it. it you must leave it there, you know, that the, the green rock yeah. is, is sacred um, to, or, you know, by the Maori. And um, I mean, we've been all over, all the way down to the South Island, all the way down, um, in fact, um, to the Macquarie Islands and, and all the rest of it. And, you know, if you, if you have that kind of colonial experience and, you know, your country is, um, been changed by that, and you're not necessarily a member of the colonizing group. Um, that's a different way of living than, than if it you is. are. And there's some, I'm excited to read um, Michael Bennett's um, book. I'm not, I'm sort of not able to read much at all while I'm working on my second book, but I'm going to have a summer out, um, Southern Hemisphere summer, of just reading other people's books and, and that that's right up there. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, we, there's, um, I grew, I'm lucky to have grown up, um, I'm fortunate that I grew up in a bicultural um, environment in, in my hometown um, where I lived until I was 16. Um, and I had an, an awareness, at least, um, and yeah, just an awareness. There was a lot more for me to learn about intersectionality and about different aspects of identity and who is, right. who is safer. And, and definitely one of the things that I um, like to point out is that I'm, I'm not trying to um, represent more than this one particular type of story with Before You Knew My Name, because I acknowledge that, you know, I could, I could have bitten off more than, definitely more than I could chew in terms of um, other aspects of, of people's identities uh that um influence whether you're like more you know more or less likely to be a victim of this type of crime and so there's a um it's very deliberate that Alice Lee is a is a um blonde pretty white girl the missing white woman syndrome uh, was something that I was learning a lot about at the time and why she this particular um young woman gets a lot of attention which can very quickly also then turn against them if she's not the right um if it's the right type of victim so i was exploring all of those things 
at the same time as acknowledging this is not my area of expertise. I haven't, I wish I did, and maybe I'll go and do that someday. I don't have um, you know, my psychology and sociology and anthropology degrees and these things, but I'll get them one day. I've got like, I'm a, I'm a late bloomer as a novelist. So I might be a late bloomer as an academic <laughs> as well. So in point of, you know, the actual plot, Alice Lee and Ruby are both in New York. They've both been, if not jilted, at least the, whatever their romantic entanglements were, have not they're worked not, out. They're not great. <laughs> nope. And then uh, one day Alice is murdered, so it's raped and murdered actually in Riverside Park and Ruby finds the corpse. Alice has no wallet, nobody reports her missing and she becomes a Jane Doe, which is, you know, um, police speak and crime speak for an, an, an unidentified female victim. And therefore her spirit is lingering and it nudges Ruby to investigate um, the true identity of Alice who becomes known as Riverside Jane. And so there is an investigation and you know, you'll have to read the book to find out mm -hmm. if they find out who did it and what the mm -hmm. consequences are. So that part of it is, you know, more of a conventional murder mystery. Um, let me close by asking you, because I've noticed a couple of people referring to you as an Australian author. Um, do you, you know, I thought of you as a New Zealand author. Yeah. So, um, you know, do you intend to present yourself as a New Zealand author going forward if you're back in New Zealand? I mean, yeah, I am through, through and through in my passport and um, I'm a, a, you know, my family, I'm a New Zealander, I was born here, I went to high school until 16, um, and then came over to the United States on my exchange, so the tiny little, tiny little bit of like love for um, a few years that I've managed to live in the States, so I'm a New Zealander, but I also consider myself a Melbourneian, um, wow. even, even more than an Australian, in the sense that from 18 through to 42 years old roughly with with very few um a couple of interludes in the middle but that's where I lived that's where I learned to be an adult um where I, yeah it, I mentioned before like Melbourne grew me up so I am a Kiwi um who was also a Melbourneian and until the pandemic I thought that was going to be very easy to <laughs> to manage the two I would just come back um you know I would be here with family and enjoy like this there you know there's no place like home to go back to an Oz reference um and then um I would have Melbourne that I could travel to it's you know, easy it's a, a three-hour flight and my publishers um are in Sydney I could sure. do all that and then then, then um you know I got my book deals in March 2020 <laughs> and the, the world went like this while the rest of my world opened up and it's only just this year that I am learning how to balance those two aspects of my um, my own identity, which is um, loving being home and also having, you know, almost my entire um, adult life over there. I understand that. I asked you the question because I think you know Americans particularly tend to lump it all as called like down under, and yeah. they don't yeah. really understand that New Zealand is quite different. It's and really different, and this is I'm in a small I'm in a small town or. Well, they're small by the standards of, you know, if Melbourne's got roughly 5 million people now, my town here is um, 55 to 75,000, depending on the, you know, if you count some of the rural areas. So like a one main street versus, um, you know, a city. And there have been, uh, there have de been definite adjustments, but I consider myself at home in both places. And um, 
you know, hopefully I can continue to, to, to move between the two and um, the, you know, that we're, the events of 2020 and beyond were, were a massive learning curve. <laughs> they were a massive learning curve to appreciate uh, travel when you can um, and to also um, make the best of where you are, at, at, you, know, if, you know, at any given time as well. Well, you're absolutely right. And the truth is it doesn't really matter where you live. Um, so it's been a real pleasure to, I mean, in terms of your writing, sorry, it does matter where you live. But no, yeah, I know. I'm lucky. I can write. Your statement, Barbara, before you go totally off the rails, right? <laughs> um, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. So um, congratulations on publication. Um, it actually went on sale. This book went on sale officially uh, a week ago, Monday, which was first, yeah. which is... Um, Wonderful. And um, I'm expecting to see more of you because you said you already have a couple yeah. more books under contract. So that's really good yeah. news. Um, I don't, I didn't see that you could write an idea, you know, a, I mean, a real sequel to this book. Do you, you know? Oh, yeah. Tempting. It's so tempting. I need to yeah, leave them alone for a while. On. Obviously, Alice not. Maybe, well, maybe Alice. Yeah. There's, there's, out. there's, it would be, that would be the dream. But um, in terms of um, wanting to, to learn, yeah, learn my craft and stretch my wings. Uh, is that what you say? Stretch my, stretch my, yeah, spread my wings rather, stretch my legs. Um, I want to try a few other things in that. And then maybe I'll come back to them um, when I have something um, equally interesting to say. Well, that's a wonderful note. I wish to leave you. Thank you very much, Jacqueline. Thank you. Don't enjoy the rest of your day. Try to read a good book. I will. Thank you so much. You bet. Bye. Hello. We hope you're enjoying our programs and podcasts with authors. We'd like to expand them, and your help would be appreciated. Please make a donation at poisonedpenfoundation.org. 100% of the proceeds will go to help connect authors with readers in this difficult time. Thank you.